Hi everybody, it's Rob Reed of the PlayerTrack.com podcast. Welcome back to number seven. I've looked at all of the position players. Today I'm going to be looking at starting pitching. Speaking of starting pitching, it's time for you to help me. This is the latest blog entry that I have up at the top of the playertrack.com website. I have my Money League draft coming in next weekend, and the holds, which we can keep four, are due on Monday. All right, so I've just got a few days left. I, in general, I have a couple scenarios of what I'm going to do, and I'm going to throw in one more player in the mix who isn't in this blog entry so that you'll have one more player to consider, which is interesting because of the fact the Twins may be taking Heath Bell. Heath Bell is the uh, the the guy that's not mentioned in the blog entry who I could keep for $11. Now, I think he's going to be traded midseason. I've had many at least by midseason, but apparently I read something on the internet today that said that the Twins may be trying to chase him now. He signed through 2011. Um, but uh, the Padres, more likely than not, are going to want to get something of, of substantial value for him because he probably is going to move on. We see the contracts that were signed by Valverde and, and Mike Gonzalez in the past uh, year, and Heath Bell is bound to uh, desire a substantial contract that the Padres probably don't want to uh, even think about. So here are the players, in addition to Heath Bell, I have Roy Halladay, who I could keep for 30 Now, mind you, this is a, a, a Money League standard 5-5 except on-base percentage instead of runs. And it's a $260 salary cap. We draft eight pitchers and 14 position players. You know, five outfielders, two catchers, a utility, and then a corner and middle, and then the standard positions. So Roy Halladay at $30. CeCe Sabathia, 28 Cliff Lee, 18 just had an abdominal strain this week. Chase Utley, 30 Adrian Gonzalez, $15. And Andre Ethier, $8. Now, you know that I'm the Dodger homer, so Andre Ethier at $8 looks amazing. Uh, he had suffered from some bad luck, like I talked about in the outfield rankings. Uh, his batting average in balls in play was lower than league average. It looks like there's some upside there. Manny uh, is not trying to get pregnant, so that's a plus as well. Um, <laughs> and uh, so the question is, we are changing our, our pitching to standard five. It used to be, instead of strikeouts, we did strikeouts per nine. We've moved from that for total strikeouts. So there's going to be this major, especially because it's the first time we're doing this, and I've been in this league for like 16 years almost, and uh, we are going to have a premium on these starting pitchers who are decent at strikeouts. So the first thought I had was I can keep Roy Halladay, Sabathia, and Lee totaling uh, $76 just for them. Okay, and that, that, uh, that's a lot of money to spend just on three starting pitchers. And then I would keep Ethier in that scenario. That was my first thought. Then I moved on. This is before the abdominal thought. The Cliff Lee at $18, I think, is a bargain. This is a multi-league. Uh, his move to Seattle. It's good defensive players surrounding him there, but not even you know thinking about that. It is a pitcher's ballpark. And Cliff Lee, even in Citizens Bank, well, he started out amazing when he got traded to Philadelphia last year and then tailed off. But, you know, I get that because of the type of park that that is. It is a hitter's park. And 
I still like Cliff Lee, but the fact that he's going to start the season very likely on the DL makes me wonder. I mean, especially because Joe Nathan was sort of downplayed when he went out. And then I, I'm thinking that right after the Monday deadline, maybe Tuesday, I'll find out that Cliff Lee is out for the year or something. You know, I don't think that's going to happen, but who knows? And it would be terrible if I kept him. So now it's a big question mark. The other thing is second base, I think, is slim. At least as it relates to the distance between how good Utley is and then how good, you know, the next, uh, after the next two or three second baseman does it go, you know, and it doesn't go, it's not a, a great, there's a vast difference in other words. And so keeping Chase Utley at 30 probably makes more sense than keeping Roy Halladay. Remember Roy Halladay some years ago, not too long ago, maybe four years ago, had a, a very bad injury, did not pitch a, a substantial amount of time that season. And so I'm accurate. I'm going to click him here at player track. Uh, this looks like it was uh, 2005, actually. We had 141 innings pitched. He was still the ninth overall pitcher there. He was the number one overall pitcher in 2008 and the number six. We'll talk about him shortly. And, of course, you know this being the pitching, I'll talk about all these guys. Sabathia and Lee will be talked about today, more likely than not. So what would you do in that scenario? Adrian Gonzalez certainly, remember this is on-base percentage instead of runs, and Adrian Gonzalez had a pretty bad batting average as far as first baseman go in the 270s, but his batting average on balls in play last season, only 280. There's some upside there with the batting average, but the plus is on-base percentage was 400, you know, a little bit over, I think. So in, uh, keeping Adrian and Andre probably means that I should keep maybe two pitchers, although I'd really like to keep Utley and maybe keep Lee. I'm trending to keeping Cliff Lee, Utley, Gonzalez, and Ethier, and that would total uh, $71, which is not bad for four top-tier players. Um, first base is real deep, which is the one thing that's making me think. But $15, he had 40 home runs last season, Adrian. So let me know what you think, Rob at PlayerTrack.com, or better go to the blog entry. And sorry for taking up the first six minutes on this subject, but uh, you know I'm I'm really needing help on this one before Monday comes. A couple of announcements with Player Track. I added a closer graphic, uh, which will include all closers other than Minnesota and Toronto. Minnesota's still up in the air. Toronto's still up in the air. For the short term, you know, Colorado's up in the air with some injury, a couple of other play teams. Are, but those, the Minnesota and, and the Blue Jays are the ones where they're still they're either closing by committee or haven't 100% figured it out yet. So you won't find a closer for them. And uh, that just makes it easy. It made it easy for me when I did the Bloomberg draft that I talked about last week, which went very well. Um, there's the fantasy Sherpa who keeps a blog. He is very good at statistics and he did his prognostications of who in the Bloomberg experts versus regulars draft that I participated in, who had the best team. And I was tied for second with Laura Michaels of mastersball.com, uh, with a projected total of 80 points behind another one of us, uh, regulars, the Bloomberg fantasy tools were awesome. So check those out. Uh, I certainly used player track. Uh, to keep me focused and use the next tool tool to know easily who which players were gone. It took about four hours, but it, I mean, how often am I going to be able to say I drafted with directly in per? It wasn't in person; it was online. But with Ron Chandler and with Harold Reynolds, for, former Mariner, and with uh, Steve Gardner of USA Today and Derek Van Riper of RotoWire.com. You know, I'm dropping names right now. I'm sorry, Tim Haney of KFFL KFFL.com. So it was a really fun experience. I did well. Check out the blog entry, the final Bloomberg squad 
on the main page of playertrack.com and let me know how you think I did. And of course, if you have fantasy questions, you can go to the player profiles. You can do a player search and then post a message in that player profile about anybody. And the latest questions and latest entries that have been written about in the past week involve BJ Upton, Garrett Atkins, you know, Escobar, uh, Chris Young, the San Diego pitcher, Jake Peavy, Jim Edmonds, neat article on him at ESPN. Looks like he's going to make the Brewer squad, believe it or not, at 39 years old. Ricky Romero, Victor Martinez, and Adrian Gonzalez. So now that that uh, intro is done, shall we start with the top 20 starting pitchers in all of baseball from 2009? My initial inclination was to add the rule of 27. And in looking at that, the results. I thought they were a little bit skewed. Jared Weaver, for instance, comes in at the top 10 under the rule of 27. So I don't want to do that. It's it's interesting if you think there might be a little bit of bonus applied, but certainly I don't think that uh, Jared Weaver is going to rank higher than, say, C.C. Sabathia or something. And I don't want to look absolutely foolish in the name of, you know, what I did a few years ago when Hank Blaylock and Player Track ranked higher than Miguel Cabrera under proration, mind you. Remember, that's just sort of, you know, for trivia's sake, for a full season with a partial season. And uh, Hank Blaylock, two years ago, with a partial season, looked poised to do very well. And uh, I'm not saying anything about Hank Blaylock this year, ladies and gentlemen. So anyway, Number one, the number one pitcher in all of baseball last season, standard 5-5, minimum 50 innings pitched, and I'm only looking at starters. So I've checked the pitcher type as starter. Strikeout saves, wins, whip, and ERA. They're, so just everybody. I don't think there was any starter last season who had a save. I could be wrong, but we're not going to talk about any of them today. Zach Greinke comes at number one. And oh, how I love the story of Zach Greinke. And better how I love the story of Zach Greinke and the fact that all of his peripherals really indicate that if a regression is possible, but it won't be much. And the peripherals I'll talk about a lot today, probably, and you know, this is what I focus on with the pitchers, is the strand rate, which you'll find at LOB, left on base, in the, under the statistics of playertrack.com. I'll look at the FIP, which is Fielding Independent Pitching, which is a uh, designed by a guy by the name of Tom Tango, which is a predicted ERA if we don't consider the defense behind them, which is important, I think. And also the batting average on balls in play against. Now, why I really like Zach Greinke is the fact that his batting average on balls in play in the last three years, actually, and that this totals um, some on the fly, for about 530 innings. It's in the 290s and, and the mid to high 290s, actually. Last season, 292, which was a, which was better, but it shows that he didn't get lucky. And if he, if pitcher comes in has a batting average on balls in play and it's not consistently in the say 250s or so, but it's high, that what we see is probably what we get. And what's amazing about Zach Greinke is the 2.16 ERA. Now that could be a reflection of a strand rate that it was substantially higher than league average. Now, his Zach Greinke's strand rate last season, 82%. Now, the average under this scenario, we have 216 results that come up under this with 50 minimum innings pitch starters from last season. The average batting average in balls in play was 286. So, when we see a pitcher come up with a higher batting average on balls in play and perform as well as Zach Greinke did, Wow, what what is to think that he's going to regress? Well, the the strand rate 
let's take a look at what that was. This was 73%. That's what I meant to look at. Sorry. A 73% strand rate from the average pitcher in all of baseball last season and Zach's was 82 means, well, you know, we could see regression his previous season of 202 innings when he did very well in 2008 as well with the 3.47 ERA was a 78% strand rate. And in 122 innings in 2007, it was a 76% strand rate. Sorry. So I believe, like I said in a blog entry on Valentine's Day this year, as I said, regarding Zach, I see no reason for concern. His strand rate is higher than average, so a regression is possible, but not much. A sub-3 ERA, a 1.1 whip, 13 wins, and a ton of Ks should all still be in the cards. I wish he played for a different team. And not just the Dodgers, but I mean, as a fantasy fan, and me being the Dodger fan, a team that like the Yankees. Picture Zach Greinke on the Yankees. Wow! But being on the Royals, that creates issues of wins, and that was my problem going into the 2009 season. Although I said that I liked him, and the problem was that quite a few players in your fantasy league probably will too, and that was the case because 2008 was the initial breakout. Now the fielding independent pitching for Zach 2.38, so. You know, I still see a sub three ERA in his future here, unless something psychological happens or something like that. And I don't think anything like that will happen. But Zach was so good, and another player that was so good comes in number two, Tim Lincecum, of course. You know, Cy Young, amazing, amazing young pitcher, only turning twenty six years old in June this year. So he's probably not even hit his prime. And the amazing thing that I kept saying about Tim all season last season, or when I was doing the podcast through June, was that all of his peripherals indicated that he could get even better. That was the amazing thing about him. He had a strand rate last season of 78%. And again, like I said, 73% was the average. But it was 79% in 2008. And it was 71% in a short stint in 2007. He just has the ability to get players out. And sometimes kind of like a batting average on balls in play of somebody like a Matt Kemp or a Matt Holiday that's consistently high. It just shows a skill set in hitting. Sometimes you get a pitcher where the, the strand rate is consistently high, but it's just because you're dealing with a stud pitcher and that's what we're dealing with here. And the Giants are a team that I'm not that excited about. They added some additions on the offense that were kind of old and risky. I really like Aubrey Huff at first. I drafted him very late in the uh, Bloomberg Expert draft that I referred before. They picked up Edgar Renteria. Certainly they have a wonderful third baseman in Pablo Sandoval. But, you know, everywhere else it gets young and it gets inexperienced and just not that good. Not a heck of a lot of power on that team for sure. You know, Aaron Rowan a few years ago had the contract year and broke out and no sign that he's going to do anything like that this year. So I still worry about wins, but he's had 33 in the last two. So Tim Lincecum is in a uh, a world of excellence all his own and no reason for anything to come down. Only allowed 10 home runs in 225.1 innings last season. A... a uh, 276 batting average on balls in play, which is only slightly below league average. A whip of 1.05, 261 strikeouts, 2.48 ERA. Wonderful. Not more than needs to be said about him, other than what I say. I said the last year was that I his mechanics scare me. That's the reality. And at 26 years old, 
You know, I don't know. Maybe his mechanics, I'm not a physics expert. Maybe his mechanics are better than others. But if you look at him, it looks like he's pulling the ball out of his butt and coming out so low that and putting a lot, getting a lot of torque on that arm that my only concern with Tim is the fact that he's the fulcrum of the entire team and a lot of pressures on him to do well. And maybe he's an injury risk. And I, I hope not, but I, I'm not going to get him in the money league because somebody's going to keep him at $17. By the way, I drafted him two years ago for seven, traded him that same year late in the year to get Chase Utley because I needed offense. And I made, that's one of the other reasons why I want to keep Chase Utley my keeper because to make it worthwhile that I don't have Tim Linscombe for $17 this year. Anyway, number three, a guy who finally broke out, lived up to the hype. Felix Hernandez, number three at Seattle. Nice to have Cliff Lee back in there, too, with him. And uh, will certainly help morale. A wonderful thing was that he had 19 wins last season. Now, is that going to keep? I don't know. Seattle made some changes also uh, to their, uh, their their offense. Milton Bradley comes into play. And Casey Kochman at first that I remember. You know, nothing major and substantial. Eric Burns, I believe, uh, is trying to battle for playing time there. But uh, it's a great ballpark. The defense is very good, and that's what folks are talking about. So that's the plus for Felix, and that's what continues to give him value. His batting average on balls in play, 270, though, which was he cut it by 28 points from 2008 and 38 points from 2007. So has he developed himself into a better pitcher with time being he's only going to be turning 24 next month, actually? So he's still young. I think there's a lot of room for improvement, but I do think that there is a possibility of some regression. What what I said uh, in July 15th last season was I didn't see much of a regression because the strand rate was eight points higher than the average pitcher, and it looked like he still was going to continue, and that's what he did. His strand rate, though, got better as the season progressed and was 82%, 9% higher than league average. So 9% higher than league average strand rate, coupled with a huge improvement on his batting arms and balls in play, does spell to me a, a decent level of luck. So is he a 2.49 ERA pitcher that he like he was last season? This is Felix. I don't think so. Is he more like a low threes to 3.45 ERA that he had in 2008? I think so. Is he a good candidate for 14 wins like he had in 2007? Absolutely. So, a solid pitcher? Yes. Top 10? Yes. Top 5? I'm not sure about that. Um, and if he were to have a huge drop, I'm not saying I would be completely shocked. Remember, also his whip went from 2008, 1.39 to 1.14 in 2009. The FIP, 3.09, so it's 50 points higher. It really spells regression. And that doesn't mean I'm down on him, but it means that if Felix uh, has a an off year or lo- something that looks more like 2008 or 2007, don't say that I didn't tell you that it was a possibility because it is. My dad has him in the money league that I play in. My dad plays in that league with me. He's keeping Felix for $23. I think that's a good bet for as good as Felix was. And the fact that he's only 24 years old, that's a plus. So it could be an issue of experience. And, and a little bit of maturity that could correct the lucky stuff, the lucky figures that Felix had that may keep him in the same level of pitching, uh, but just because of his experience. We'll see. Number four is a guy that I like. And he was traded 
to the American League and the World Series champion Yankees. So that's a plus. Javier Vasquez, number four, is going to turn 34 years old this year. So he's getting up there in age. He's got a lot of experience. But he's an incredible innings eater. That's the positive to say about him. He has had no less than since 2005, since player track's been keeping track, of 202 and two-thirds innings pitched. That's that's an innings eater. That's a guy that you want, especially because he is a strikeout pitcher. So again, in my money league, now that we're moving to strikeouts, his value is going to become much higher. But here is the rub, if you will. Here's the thing that concerns me. In the last four years, Javier has had a topsy-turvy career. Um, In 2006, a 4.84 ERA that went up more than a full run in 2007, that went back down a full run in 2008, that went up almost full two runs in 2009. Now certainly that could be a reflection, at least the 2009, of moving to the American, uh, to the National League and pitching against pitchers uh, and, you know, not having the designated hitter in there. And it's, it's easier to pitch in the National League, period. Maybe. But that topsy-turvy thing means that 2010 could be that point you know if this is the type of pitcher that he is and looking at his uh, you can see the player ranking draft there and his player profile I'm looking at right now is up down up down and a big big jump from last season as he becomes one of the top pitchers in all of baseball the other thing that really bothers me is it's great for him to go to a, a powerhouse ball club in the New York Yankees. But it's another thing when the powerhouse New York Yankees play in the home run powerhouse of all the major leagues. It was the new Coors Field. You know, it it really was. Everybody was talking about this new Yankee stadium. So we have Javier moving from the National League to not only the American League and a designated hitter, but the best home run hitting ballpark for offensive play for hitters in all of baseball. And that spells regression all over the place. And so I'm concerned. The other thing, again, that you can see the topsy-turvy is the batting average on balls in play. 301 in 2006, 278 in 2007. Back above 300 in 2008 with 308. Back down to 277 in 2009. Can we see that batting average on balls in play float back up to the low 300s again? Maybe. Is the 20 home runs that Javier allowed last season in 219.1 innings pitched going to go up in Yankee Stadium? I think so. So it is a plus to see that in 2007 when he did have the off year that he still had a 3.74 ERA. He had 15 wins. So if you you really want to be optimistic about Javier, and I do, I'd say your best case scenario is you're going to be looking at his 2007 season where he had 3.74 ERA, 1.14 whip, and the possibility that it could look a little bit like 2006, but more wins. He went 11 and 12 in 2006 with a 4.84 ERA and a 1.29 whip. I think the 1.2 whip looks reasonable. Perhaps a low 4 ERA, believe it or not, for Javier is possible, but a ton of strikeouts. His strikeout rate went up over one strikeout per nine innings last season, so that's the plus. But, you know, is Javier going to be a top 10 pitcher next year? I'm not sure. 
His progression in those four years in the top tens, he was the 77th overall player track pitcher in 2006, went to the 14th in 2007, back to the 77th in 2008, to the 5th last season. Could he be in the 60s next year? It's possible. You remember in 2008, he's only a year removed from being 12 and 16 with a 4.67 ERA and a 1.32 whip. And that was when he was in the American League, I believe with the White Sox, if memory serves. So, you know, keep that in mind. You know, it's definitely something that concerns me. And, and I did pick Javier Vasquez in the Bloomberg League. So I didn't put my, I didn't pay a lot of attention to the negativity I'm talking about now. But as I'm studying this, it's really making me wonder. Roy Halladay, number five, fantastic. But remember, although he's moving, it's sort of a reverse of Javier. Although he's moving from the American League to the National He's going to Citizens Bank, which is a great ballpark for hitters. That's the bottom line. But 17 wins for Roy, and you know, it's just he, his last injury was there in 2005, which was a, it hurt me because I had Roy that year. I remember it in my money league. So he may be due. The, the guy is 33 years old. He's getting up there a little bit younger than Javier Vasquez. He's turning 33 in, uh, in May. But all his peripherals were really, really nice. A two ninety four batting average on balls in play for Roy means above league average, which means I don't see any reason he's going to have issue to regress there. The 81% strand rate that he had last season as it compared to the previous season, it was 78%, then it was 72% in 2007 when he had a 3.71 ERA. And his batting average on balls in play there was two eighty eight. He had a batting average on balls in play of two sixty four. And a strand rate of 76% in 2006 when he had a 3.19 ERA and a 1.1 whip. So he did have some luck there in 2006. But when he came back in 2008 and was studly after 246 innings, you know, that was really good to see a 2.78 ERA and a 1.05 whip. And not to drop really in 2009, a slight drop in whip to 1.13 and a minor one one hundredth drop in ERA to 2.79. The FIP was 3.01. The FIP in 2008 was 2.95. So I think that a around a, a low three, maybe high two ERA for Roy is still probably in the cards, could go up as high in Citizens Bank to maybe 3.2, maybe the low threes, and maybe a whip that goes up to, you know, mid 1.1s to 1.2s possibly, as long as he doesn't get injured. Now, again, I could keep him for $30 in my money league, and I did think about it. You know, nice to get a cream of the crop pitcher, but for some reason I got this vibe that he's going to get hurt this year and, and maybe lose out on some, you know, 50, 60, 70 innings. I, I, I don't know. Let me know what you think again in the uh, whether I should keep him or not. Number six, probably a true keeper for you if you grabbed him last year because he was on the precipice of greatness, Adam Wainwright comes in higher than Chris Carpenter, who I drafted in the Bloomberg League. Again, I, I got a bunch of aged pitchers. Uh, what I said about Adam Rain, Wainwright on February 12th of 2010, though, is I said a regression is imminent. Now, that is a pretty scary headline. But then I, I started out the discussion with, but not by a lot. <laughs> he is the real deal. I guess regression because of his 82% strand rate which was the highest of his career last season. The higher the strand rate, the, the luckier the pitcher got, again, with a 73% strand rate. He had a 78% strand rate in 2008. It was 75% in 
in 2007. It was 77% in 2006. So the, the mid to high 70s is what we can expect. So a slight drop there. Maybe more of a, uh, a three ERA pitcher, which is what I said. His strikeouts went up by almost two per inning, though. Um, or per game, rather. Per nine. So all cylinders seem to be a go with this guy. I do think, like I said in this uh, analysis, that his ERA is probably closer to three, but that's still very, very good. You got Matt Holiday in the lineup there. You got Albert Pujols, of course. So, you know, it's a great team, a great one-two punch with Carpenter and Wainwright. Wainwright, probably, if you owned him last season and you're in a keeper league, is one of those guys that you have to keep. Another guy who I think you have to keep, who I really, really was happy with, because I really like this pitcher, Justin Verlander. He comes in as the uh, number seventh pitcher in all of baseball under this discussion. And he also happens to turn 27 years old. He just turned 27 years old. So he's right there at his prime. His player graph indicates uh, that uh, he is one of the best pitchers in baseball. And that last season, or rather 2008, was aberrational. Now, why was it aberrational? Well, let me tell you, in 2008, in 201 innings, his strand rate, 67%. I don't think I've said anybody yet who had a strand rate that low. So that was quite a bit lower, like maybe 8% of league average then. And that netted him a 4.84 ERA. His whip was horrific at 1.40. The batting average on balls in play was 287, which was not so bad. So... Verlander was sort of a, he was a strange beast, if you will, because uh, I didn't understand why that regression was so much worse when his strand rate was only 8% higher in 2007, and he had uh, statistics that were substantially better, 3.66 ERA in 2007 and a 1.23 whip. I didn't really know how to explain it. And he definitely wasn't somebody that I was targeting. And he was so disfavored in my money league last season that my father, again, was able to pick him up for five bucks in the end game. And, of course, my dad's keeping him as well. So my dad's got the one-two punch of Felix Hernandez for 23 and Verlander for 10 bucks. So two solid pitchers for 33 bucks in a, in a league that's switching from strikeout rate to strikeouts is really good, especially because of the th- almost three strikeout per nine inning jump for Justin Verlander. 240 innings he had last season, 201 the previous season, 201.2 in 2007. He is an innings eater. I don't see any reason for him. Uh, you know, his mechanics seem to be, don't scare me at all. But 3.45 ERA isn't like amazing. Uh, but it, I think we can expect that. A 1.18 whip, maybe go up to what it was in 2007 in the 1.2s. So a slight regression. Uh, the fact that he plays with the Tigers, had 19 wins last season, which was really good. But remember, he had 18 in 2007. He had 17 wins in 2006. He only had 11 in 2008, 11 and 17. I think anywhere between 17 to 20 wins is, again, a possibility for Justin, as long as he doesn't suffer from the bad luck that he had in 2008. Justin Verlander is still a pitcher that I am absolutely high on. Another pitcher I'm high on, but who was just playing out of his gourd the first uh, half of the season and did trail off, it was very easy to predict, was Dan Heron. 
Now, looking at Dan Heron coming at number eight, another innings eater, another top-of-the-line, top-tier pitcher, no doubt, will be the same. But as an innings eater, he's never had less than 216 innings pitched in the last five years, and that's 2008 when he went 16-8 and with a 3.33 ERA, a 1.13 whip. That's more the pitcher that I think we would see, although he wasn't that far off last season. A 3.14 ERA, a 1.00 whip. So I see a slight regression for from him. He he was pitching much better going into the last two months of the season, and the regression did occur. But it's his uh, strikeout rate went up a little bit. His FIP is uh, was a little bit higher, just slightly higher than what it was, uh, what his ERA was in 2009, 3.14. And uh, the 2008 did indicate that's why I was high in Heron. His ERA was 3.33, but his FIP was 2.99, so it indicated that he would be very good, and that's exactly what happened. But the thing with Dan that is the glaring thing is the fact that his batting average on balls in play averaged in the four years preceding last year. Again, I'm going on off the fly. Looks like it averaged in the mid to high 280s, probably more like the mid 280s, which is around league average. Last season, his batting average on balls in play, 262 was a 33-point jump from the previous season, a 23-point jump from the other. So regression is possible on that basis. And the fact that Arizona, you know, once it gets hot there, uh, there are a lot of home runs hit out there as well. A lot, and uh, it's a place, if I was a ball player, I'd like to be hitting at. So think about that. But is Dan Heron a top-10 pitcher next season? Absolutely, I would say so. Chris Carpenter is one of those, you know, what's going to happen? He comes in number nine. He really, really performed so well. A player in, in my money league last year got him in the end game for $1. How nice was it to get 192 innings out of a pitcher started the season quasi hurt? You didn't know what. Big question mark. 17 wins, 2.24 ERA, 7 home runs allowed in 192 innings, and a 1.01 whip. I mean, ugh. Just just a gorgeous player. A two fifty six batting average on balls in play, which might make you raise an eyebrow, but when he was healthy in 2006 and 2005, he had, he had a two sixty five ish batting average on balls in play. Some regression there. Is is he more likely a, a 2-5 ERA pitcher? Uh, maybe. You know, remember he's getting up there in age. He's turning 35 in April, late April. And uh, what I said in December 29th of last year, I said he resumed his dominance. He's near top of the pack pitcher once again, as if Tommy John surgery never happened. A season that looks like 2006 is a reasonable expectation, and I think that's great. And again, I said I think an ERA more like 3.09 is what we can expect in 2010, based primarily on the 256 batting average on balls in play and a strand rate slightly above league average. But if it's close to what he had in 2009, I don't see any reason other than injury. So we worry about injury. You look at his player graph, and you see him at the very bottom there at 2007, 2008, because he didn't even qualify. He didn't pitch enough. Uh, he pitched six innings in 2007. But look how good he was in 2005, 2006, and 2009. When the guy is healthy, he is top three pitcher in all of the game. There were just so many pitchers last season who were so good that you know he failed to crack the top five. But I wouldn't be surprised if he's there, barring barring an injury. And like I said, I put my money where my mouth is there. Drafting him very early in the uh, uh, 
Oh, I don't think I got him. I'm trying to think where I see again. I'm getting in so many leagues. I did draft Chris Carpenter in some league. I just can't remember which one it is. I think I actually drafted him in the second round, and I think it was a, a, a another league that I'm in with some other bloggers. So sorry for that confusion, but I do believe Chris Carpenter is going to have a very good year. Number ten, who could also have a very good year, and one of the pitchers I'm considering keeping is CC Sabathia. CC Sabathia, another wonderful innings eater. Uh, the way his body looks is he's certainly eating a lot more than innings. Oh, there's the drum fill. And uh, <laughs> the thing with CC, you know, is he only allowed 18 home runs, moving to the juggernaut home run ballpark in Yankee Stadium. So that's a plus. And he was so good. Remember in 2008, 253 innings. Uh, the only, I mean, the primary concern I think I have about him, well, certainly the fact that he's in that new stadium, but, you know, I feel comforted by the fact he only had 18 home runs, actually allowed one fewer home run, uh, but had 23 fewer innings from 2008. He had 253 innings in 2008. It was just so dominating, especially when he moved to Milwaukee. And that was 2008 when you remember he started out so terribly. And he started out pretty bad last year that I remember. So if you own CC Sabathia, if you shelved him in April, I wouldn't, I wouldn't do it. You just can't do it, especially when he's playing for a team as good as the Yankees. But when he start, if he starts April and he's getting rocked around, I, I remember, I think it was at the end of April, that his ERA in 2008, when I owned him and I wanted to trade him, actually, was like 13. I mean, it was something ridiculous. And they ended up at the end of the season 2.70 in 2008. I mean, that's how amazing he was in that second half for the Brewers. So I really, really like... CC, you know, I, I really, really do. But the, a glaring possibility concern is the fact that he's thrown more than any pitcher in the majors, I think. I mean, we look at 2007, 241 innings pitched, 253 innings pitched in 2008, 230 last season. I mean, wow. That is, uh, we're close to 500, 700. In three years, over 730 innings. I mean, that, wow. That is a lot when you consider the fact that you're, you're happy if your starter gets 200 innings. And so in this case, would have 600 total innings. He has 130 more innings than that. I mean, really? That's like how many complete games is that? That's over 10 more complete games, you know? So is his arm going to fall off is the question. The thing with CC is he's a lot younger than you probably think. You know, at least when I think about it off the top of my head, he will be turning just after the All-Star break this year. He's finally hitting the 30 mark. So he's getting up there, but he's still young, you know. And so just remember the possibility that he could start out slowly. But a, a definite good option, I, I definitely think, especially with Javier Vasquez in the mix there, less pressure on CC, and uh, we can expect good things. Top 10, I'd say, probably more likely than not. Josh Johnson comes in at number 11. And Josh Johnson is a pitcher who I like very much, only 26 years old. Unfortunately, a lot of other folks like him as well. I look at the 209 innings that he pitched last season, and I think it was uh, the Sports Illustrated writer, Tom Verducci, uh, that he has this Verducci effect, that when a player comes out and has a substantial jump in innings that are thrown from one year to the next, that the following year, the next year, is when they really, really tail off and get hit hard because their arm just can't, under, can't can't stand the work, if you will. So that's the concern. If you're a Verducci effect follower, and you know, I think there's something to be said about that. He went from 87.1 innings pitched in 2008 with 14 game starts, you know, coming back from injury, 
to 209. So his deal was, you know, what is that? We're dealing with about 120 more innings pitched last season than he had the previous season before. And that's likely to, to hurt his arm. The 1.16 whip was the best of his career. The, the best before that was 1.21 in 157 at-bats in 2006. So I can't really say that, that Josh is a done deal just yet. The fact that he's still young is a plus. But the other plus is that his strand rate wasn't particularly, it was just slightly higher than league average, 75%. His FIP was actually below what his ERA was, FIP of 3.08 with a 3.23 ERA. Once again, Florida Marlins, not an offensive juggernaut that, I would like hitting behind me if I was pitching, but he did have also an increase in his strikeout rate, had a total of 191 strikeouts and 209 innings. So you got to like that, especially going 15 and five. So last season was so good for him that I could see why folks would be high. But if he's going to be your number one pitcher, unless it's an NL only league, you definitely are going into the the rest of the season. I think the start of the season I would at least with a partial ulcer, you know, this young kid with really not a lot of experience and not a lot and not a really an amazing track record you'd be relying on. I would let someone else in your league rely on that. Don't let it be you. Another one who I'd say comes in number 12. Don't let it be you getting him, you know, and I don't just say this because I don't like the Giants, but Matt Kane. Matt Kane has regression all over him. Okay, I said I'd talk about fielding independent pitching the FIP. This is one of those guys at a FIP of 3.95, but an ERA of 2.89. Had a batting average of balls in play of 252. His previous season, 286. Before that was 267. So you might think, well, he, he could maintain that because in, t- in 2006, it was a 261 batting average on balls in play. Maybe, you know, maybe it's just a symptom of that he's that kind of pitcher, but I'm just, I'm sorry, I'm not convinced. His lowest ERA before 2009 was the 3.65 he had in 2007. So the 2.89 sort of came out from nowhere. He had a, a strand rate that was his also his uh, career high, or tied his career high, but he only had 46 innings in 2005 when he had an 82% strand rate. It was 82% last season. His previous high was 76% that he had in 2008. So what I said in December 15, 2009 is I said, Danger, Will Robinson. FIP over a run above his ERA, a strand rate almost 10% higher than league average, a batting average on balls in play about 20 points below league average, and playing on a lousy team spells disaster if you draft him as if he's going to repeat his 2009 stats. And Matt Kane, I think, is another guy that some folks in your league, now if it's a National League only, this doesn't apply, but I, most of my stuff, if not, if I'm only in one NL only league. Uh, I think I may not even be in that league. No, I'm not in any NL only leagues. Uh, thank you. <laughs> I'm glad. One less league to worry about. And man, that would be difficult. I don't want to do that ever again. Um, but in multi leagues, Matt Kane is a number one. Again, is ulcer inducing. I, I just wouldn't feel good about that. As a number three, yeah. As a number two, again, the ulcer sticking around, unless it's NL only. If he's my number two in an NL only, I think I'm feeling pretty good. Because you know, even at, at his 2008 3.76 ERA, 1.36 WHIP, with eight wins, but you know the potential to have closer to 10, that's not terrible. But his 14 wins was a career high. He did have 13 wins in 2006. Again, it's the Giants, but you know that FIP really stares 
me right in the face and concerns me a lot about Matt Cain. So buyer beware. You do what you're going to do, but don't tell you, don't uh, tell me that I didn't tell you so. Okay, when if he ends the season pretty nasty, and feel free to, to to call me out on it at the end of the season if you have already drafted him. John Lester is a guy that I like coming in at number thirteen. John Lester playing on that great ball club of Boston and really had a wonderful breakout. Two hundred twenty-five strikeouts last season. I want to see what that increase was because I know that had to be an increase in his ratio, and for some reason I think substantial. Oh yeah, it was substantial. Over three strikeout jump from 2008. And he's another Cinderella story, if you will. Coming back from cancer, beating cancer uh, in 2007. Coming back and having 210 innings pitched in 2008. 203 last season. And just awesome. The greatest thing about John Lester is his batting average in Boston play was higher than his career. It was 282 in 2008, but it was 301 last season. So with a 301 batting average in Boston play... A strand rate that was exactly the same as what he had in 210 innings in 2008. So I think this is consistent and shows a skill set of 77%, about 4 or 5% higher than league average. That means to me that his 3.41 ERA is probably closer to the 2008 3.21. His whip the last two seasons has been in the 1.2s, and he's had 31 wins the last two seasons. So I, I love, especially the strikeout rate, jumping up over three per game. John Lester is the real deal. And he is right in his prime. He just turned 26 years old the start of this year. So we will see good things from John Lester now and coming, continuing. Would I rather have John Lester than Matt Cain? By a country mile. And I'm not even sure what that means, but I think it's really big. Number 14, Ubaldo Jimenez. Especially in strikeout leagues. I had him for two bucks last season. Got him at the end game. And he, he did well for me because that strikeout rate of 8.17. But forget strikeout rates. The thing with I wish that I had him back. I traded him to my uh, podcast, my old podcast partner for the baseball geeks, Greg. So Greg's going to certainly keep you baldo at $7 for this year with his 15 wins last season. 3.47 ERA. 1.23 whip. 198 strikeouts in 218 innings. He had 198 innings before, so no Verducci effect happening here. His ERA progressed. He's just turned 26 years old, so like Lester, he's in his prime. There's everything to love about Ubaldo Jimenez, and you can see his player graph is just nicely going up in a straight line, continuing improvement, and I think that what you see in 2009 is the worst that you're going to get in 2000. 10. That's really what I think. So I'm really high on Ubaldo. And if you can get him in your league, would I rather have him in Matt Cain? Again, by a country mile. <laughs> After Ubaldo, Wandy Rodriguez, who I'd also rather have than Matt Cain. Wandy finally came into his own. A lot of hype about both these last two guys uh, last season. They both were end game picks, Ubaldo and Wandy Rodriguez. But a lot of people, you know, the people in the know, the experts, and I don't put myself in that list, I, but I listened to them. And so I talked about it uh, a lot. But what I said last season in, in my analysis, what I said about Wandy in December 12, 2009, just a few months ago, as I said, look at his player graph. It's a cl- and on the player profile. It's a classic bell cur- at playertrack.com. It's a classic bell curve happening. Wandy turns 31 next month. So he's older than you might think. And clearly he's reached the upper echelon of fantasy pitching greatness. So I asked, the ultimate question is, can he keep it up? Well, I don't think he's top 10 in the league again. Um, and he, he, he wasn't top 10 anyway. <laughs> you know what I'm talking about, so I don't know why I said that. I said his strand rate was higher than league average. 
And I think that'll likely falter. His strand rate last season was 82%. So that was only 4% higher than the previous season, but he only had 137 innings pitched in 2008. So there's the potential for the Verducci effect as well here. If you see, if you figure 205 innings pitched, he had almost 70 more innings pitched last season than he did the prior year. And uh, I said a mid-3 ERA is probably not out of the picture. So the 3.02 ERA will probably look more like the 3.54 ERA had in 2008 in 2010. But I said as a number three, number four starter, I think that Wandy will pay great dividends in 2010. So that's where I would be looking for him, but it may be hard uh, to do that unless you put out a lot of money on starters. Like I could if I keep all three of the ones I mentioned before. Josh Beckett is someone who I feel better about coming at number 16 than I would Wandy because Josh just has the experience. You know, Josh uh, has had some injury woes. He had some injury woes in 2008 where he had he went 12-10 and 10 with a 4.03 ERA and a 1.19 whip. But his whip in uh, 2007 was 1.14. Even when it was bad in 2006 in 204 innings, it was still 1.29. And that was when he had that horrifically bad 5.04 uh, 5.01 ERA. That was when his strand rate was only 70%. So that showed something. His batting average on balls and play, though, then was 254. So that was a very strange season for him. But uh, clearly, he had some problems. I don't remember what the story was there. But when you when you see the improvement that he had going from 2006 to 2007, something must have been going on that year. But clearly, now hitting full stride. Uh, you look at his player graph, he has a sort of Javier Vasquez up, down, up, down, up, down, but he's still up there. He's still in like the top 30% of all uh, pitchers in all baseball. And uh, I still love him. It's 20, 20 wins in 2007. He had 17 in 2009. So the 12 that he had in 2008 was somewhat of an aberration. A high 3 ERA is probably what we can expect, although there's improvement because Josh's FIP was lower than his ERA at 3.63. His strand rate was exactly at league average. His batting average on balls in play was exactly at league average. So with a little bit of luck, we can get a 3-5 ERA from Beckett, which is possible. The thing that concerns me slightly is a little bit of a regression in strikeout per nine of maybe uh, only 0.3.4. But the fact that he allowed uh, 25 home runs last season, which was a career high. Well, no, it wasn't a career high. Actually, that was his problem in 2006 when he allowed 36 home runs. That was terrible. Uh, in 2009, that was the second worst. So uh, I think we can see some improvement in those home runs allowed, which might also bring down the ERA a little bit. But playing for Boston it makes me very excited to own somebody like Josh Beckett. So it should make you excited as well. I'm going to quickly go through the last four players. Now, Jarjurgens is a good option and uh, won't be falling off the the tip of, of a lot of folks' tongue, except for the fact it's 2.51 ERA. A lot of folks are going to probably pay too much for him. His FIP was 3.74. He had a strand rate of 82%, so almost 10% higher than uh, league average, and a batting average on balls in play of only 258. So I think regression is probably all over uh, Jar, being as his batting average on balls in play in 188 innings in 2008 was 294. And what I said in February is I said, you are safe if you bid on his 2008 when he had a 3.680 area and a 1.37 whip. It's still decent, maybe a number three, number four pitcher. Uh, and and uh, he's a good pitcher who you could have gotten relatively cheap last season, but it would be harder to hide with that 2.5 ERA. And uh, 
I said, may go for more money than he will get you in 2010. And, and I believe that about Jr. I don't think he's going to be a top 20 pitcher next season. Ted Lilly, number 18, who I got in the end game of uh, a number of mock drafts and in the Bloomberg League. Again, an aging pitcher at 34, but so good. Really, really, really good. 3.1 ERA and just a nice skill set with Ted Lilly starting the season on the DL though so it's some cause for concern and of course him pitching in Wrigley but he's been pitching well in Wrigley a 3.1 ERA last season a 253 batting average and balls in play though but for me to like Ted Lilly it's probably because his batting average and balls in play is generally low and that's true 2. it's 265 in 2008 and 204 innings and 207 innings in 2007 is 255 so Ted Lilly quietly has an amazing skill set in getting people out his ERA, though, was much lower than his FIP. It was 3.72 FIP. So he could be, he's probably more likely a high three ERA pitcher, but he can get you 15 wins, is very possible as long as he can come back soon. And his whip is probably more likely 1.1s to 1.2. Uh, the strand rate was higher than usual for him. But I definitely like Ted Lilly as a number three to number five pitcher and especially when you get him a number five it's great value cliff lee comes at number 19 cliff lee was so good and especially when he first got to philadelphia but tailed off i think i talked about that earlier but i still like cliff a lot i will be monitoring him he still is probably the pitcher who i'm more likely to keep for 18 dollars in my money league and number 20 is the aforementioned jared weaver who turns 27 this season if you're wondering where johan santana lies it's right next uh, 21, who I got as my number one pitcher in the fourth round of the Bloomberg Expert League, which I, I just couldn't let Johan sit. I think you have to agree. You see Johan with the late fourth round of a of a of a 12-team uh, league. How do you let him sit? Just couldn't do it. And uh, I think Johan will be fine and probably a top 20, probably top 15 pitcher again coming into the next year. Because remember, Johan had a lot of folks out in his offensive squad there that hurt and only gave him the 13 wins last season. I think we'll see a comeback of Johan to 17 to 20 wins this year, which will bring him back up. But Jared Weaver's interesting option, and he's the last guy I'll talk about. 174 strikeouts in 211 innings, a nice strikeout rate coming out at 742 per nine innings I think he's finally come into his own he's right at that peak 16 wins is the key there where he went 16 and 8 and I really really like as I've said before the Anaheim Angel offense there I just really do his batting average on balls in play was uh, lower than his career average though so you need to take that into account and his strand rate was higher than league average and six percent higher than it was when he had a 4.33 er in 2008 i think what we can see from him is more likely the 2007 3.91 era a whip that could be in the low one threes that will get better as, his, as i think when jared hits his early 30s he probably will be one of the top in the uh, in the majors if you ask me so it might be a good time to try and get him cheap now uh, his FIP was a little bit higher than his ERA last season. I think the 4.09 FIP is probably more likely the type of ERA we can see from him. So keep that in mind. But the the strikeout rates, it was 7.74 in 2008 and did go down a little bit to 7.42. But it's up there. And the other plus is in the last two seasons, he's had 380-ish uh, innings pitched. So there's no real feeling that there's a Verducci type effect and if Jared Weaver had his breakout this season had a surprising season with a little bit of luck like we saw from a Felix Hernandez this uh, last year 
it's a possibility. And that's why if you take a, a flyer pick, if you can, if you can get a Jared Weaver for $8 or under in a money league, if I can get him in the money league for that, I think I've done something good. The problem is seeing 16 wins, especially in a money league that I'm in, in the Los Angeles area, that it's not something that I can shove under the rug. But if you live somewhere in Wyoming and do fantasy, I don't know if anyone does fantasy in Wyoming, but if you do, he's probably somebody that you can sneak under the radar. So I'll leave it at that. If you're interested in joining a fantasy league for player track, uh, give me an email, rob at playertrack.com. I'm going to set something up. I haven't gotten a substantial lot of interest as much as I got last season from, uh, from folks. A couple of emails. If you have sent me an email, uh, I will try and respond to you sometime today or tomorrow and let you know that I'll put you on a list and we'll see what happens. But if you want to participate in the league, now's the time to let me know. And if you think you could put 50 bucks up and, and have some fun with it, then that would be even better. I think the Money League will involve players who actually pay for the season pass at playertrack.com. So check that out. The season pass is only $19.99, and that is where you get a, a full season. And we have updates on May 1st, June 1st, the All-Star break, August 1st, and September 1st, where you can see how your players are going. I will help you through the system to spot players who have had bad luck and players who have a ton of good luck who may regress or may progress. That's the plus of it. But the draft kit, if that's all you want, which includes the Knicks tool and the new overall ranking and all the cool stuff that goes along with playertrack.com, only $9.99. So go ahead to playertrack.com and subscribe, especially if your draft's coming up now. And if you ever uh, you need help, you can email it at me at any time, rob at playertrack.com. Or if you have suggestions, a new category that you want to have in there, I absolutely listen to it. If it helps you, it helps me. It helps me build the site, and and that's what it's all about. I'm trying to design a fantasy baseball community that is focused on discussion and is focused on trying to help people become better, and it made me a better player. That's why I designed it. It was a theory of mine, and the theory proved true. So I hope it helps you out. God bless. Have a great week, folks. I will see you next week where I'm going to talk about the closers 